I'm uh, Josh Casey. I'm one of the pastors here at Parkview. Um, and I encourage you to get your Bible open uh, to Matthew 27. We'll be in there for a moment tonight as we are fed by the Word of God. Uh, Matthew 27 is where we'll be. We'll start in verse uh, 45. Also, if you haven't uh, yet prepared for communion, uh, we will be observing the Lord's Supper together immediately following our time uh, here in the Word. If I could describe Good Friday in one word, uh, it might be unexpected. I mean, Easter makes a lot more sense to me. Uh, the good guy wins. It's pretty easy. Uh, but on Friday, what do we do when the good guy dies? If it seems unexpected, it's, it's not just me and you. I, th I think there are a whole lot more people that are a little bit confused by this. Matthew 27 shows us how Jesus, the conquering king that was celebrated on Palm Sunday, would in fact save his people, but in a rather unexpected way. I want to read Matthew 27 now before we look, uh, look into the, the unexpected responses that we get from these people. So Matthew 27, uh, 45 through 54. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man's calling Elijah. And one of them once, uh, at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split, and the tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place. They were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. How do you, how do you respond to the unexpected ways of God? How do you respond to an unexpected Savior on an unexpected cross? How will you respond to the love of God that sent Christ to the cross? I want to take a listening tour, so to speak, of four parts of this passage that I've just read. My hope is that as you listen here this evening, uh, you will consider what your own heart is saying in response to the crucified Christ. And so the first stop on our listening tour is going to be that expected inner circle, or maybe the bystanders who are at the foot of the cross. In verse 46, Jesus cries out in his native Arabic, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. In the following verses, we listen in on a brief discussion. It seems that the bystanders, with an earshot, suppose maybe from mishearing the word Eli from Jesus' exhausted lips, Eli. Maybe he just didn't complete the name. 
uh, that maybe he was supposed to be saying Elijah, and maybe Elijah's the one that's going to save them. There's some confusion and debate and fascination here. But regardless of, of what they did or didn't hear at the foot of the cross, we definitely understand that they're concluding that whatever happens, that that guy on the cross is not the king that they had expected. That their savior needed no saving. And while their thoughts are kind of right about the savior, the hearts are far off. The hearts are saying, I I'm not okay with the unexpected. I need a savior that I can expect. That's not how I planned this would go, and so that's not how it's going to go. Or like that. We want a king who thinks and talks and acts like us. We want a savior that roots for the same team and the same candidates and shops the same places and lives the same lifestyle. I mean, at the end of the day, we all want a king that we can handle. And if that's the kind of king you're looking for, Jesus is not that king. The cross of Christ sits there on Good Friday. And it's for you and me to look at and say, what does this mean? What does this mean for me? It's an unsettling reminder that neither of us is as good as we think. And if we don't sit in that tension, we're prone to go the way of these people, these bystanders, and say, I'll wait for a less corrective, more palatable Savior. Let's move now to the unexpected outsiders. In verse 50, Jesus cries out again. And look at this. Uh, some people will respond, but before that, creation itself responds. Verse 51, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split, and the tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints were raised. What? <laughs> That's unexpected and creepy. Now, good Bible readers at that time uh, may have recognized that the darkness, the earthquake, the splitting of rocks, the resurrection of the dead were all fulfilling various Old Testament prophecies that together served as symbols that the Messiah had come and that the end was drawing near. But that's only possibly what good Bible readers might have concluded at that time. That's not really what we have here. Remember who responds to this. Let's reread it again together. At verse 54, uh, when the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus. I'll say that again with a little more help. When the Roman, not Israelite, centurion, and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, that is, the unexpected outsiders, outsiders with no knowledge of the scriptures, saw the earthquake, and what took place, they were filled with awe, and concluded, this was the Son of God. That is, they became terrifyingly aware that they are part of something much bigger than themselves. For them, the cross of Christ was more or less a window to the deeper reality of God. 
Something big is happening in our midst. In both cases, Jesus isn't who they thought he was. And I suppose that's because the steadfast love of our holy God is rather unexpected. Let's now go to the cross to hear the words of Jesus. Listen to what he says. Verse 46. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The word forsaken is intense and dark. Biblically speaking, to forsake is an act of God whereby he intentionally separates from something wicked. So right here, on the lips of Jesus, we know that Jesus is sensing a separation from God the Father. Now why this separation? Well, it's because if we step back, the Bible tells us over and over again that sin separates. Sin separates us from God. I mean, why were Adam and Eve sent from the garden after they sinned? Well, it's not because God was angry, but because God is holy. It's not because God's wrath is always punishing. It's because God's wrath is always purifying. Sin separates us from a holy God. Left to ourselves, we'd be forsaken. Let's make one more stop. Let's take, let's take this microphone. We'll go back into Jerusalem, back into the temple, where at that time the Passover sacrifices would have been taking place. In the temple, there hung a big curtain. We'll put our microphone right there. This curtain was a visual reminder of the separation between God and man. You see, it, it protected the, the, the way into the holy of holies, that dwelling place of God's presence. There was a physical blocking of sinners from God. There's, this curtain hung for hundreds of years. And now the sound we hear in verse 51, it happens that, that when the wrath of God came upon the Lamb of God, forever separation gave way to forever forgiveness. And the curtain was torn. I'm sure the sound of that tearing seemed rather unexpected to those hearing it. But such is the unexpected way of a God who sees our sin as Christ's and deals with it rightly. But then also, in his love, sees Christ's righteousness as our own and deals with us as though we are righteous. And we just read this. We just read this in, uh, in Romans 5. 18 and 19, therefore as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification for the life and life for all men. For as the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Romans 5 says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, 
we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. And if you'd like something with more movement, rather than standing there in the presence of God, we can move into that. Hebrews 6 gives us this language, 6, uh, 19 and 20. We have this as our sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as forerunner on our behalf. <laughs> Good Friday is not good because it gets Jesus dead, thus setting the stage for his awesome comeback on Sunday. And it is pretty awesome. Rather, Good Friday is good because our sovereign, holy, and steadfastly loving Lord God set his sword of purifying wrath against his son instead of you and me even though both of us deserve every single bit of it. Why would God do such an unexpected thing? It's not because your sin put him there. <laughs> Careful there. Don't think so highly of your sin. <laughs> uh, Jesus went to the cross because God is good and because God loves you. This is the steadfast, loyal, chesed, love of God. Love that takes our shame and sees past it. Love that takes our guilt and forgives it. Love that quiets our fear by drawing us near. Love that purifies us through faith in Christ. So this Good Friday, I encourage you to view the cross as a window into the bigger story. How will you respond to the love of God that sent Christ to the cross? We have two examples in this story. Is this offensive foolishness? If it is, you'll be prone to go look for another savior. Go listen to them. They'll tell you what you want to hear for a time. Or is this gift of love on the cross something that is to be received? So you receive it, and your heart says, thank you. So we can approach him with confidence because of the sanctifying, forgiving, justifying blood of Jesus Christ. We can remember his death with thanksgiving. Let's pray. Almighty God, we pray you graciously to behold us, this your family, for whom our Lord Jesus Christ was willing to be betrayed and given into the hands of sinners and to suffer death upon a cross. We can't fathom the pain, the passion, the suffering. And it all should be ours if it weren't for your love. I pray that you would give us eyes of faith 
to see beyond the cross, to see what's there, this love, this justice, this holiness, this wrath. And that we, and that we might understand that, it's, that you don't show favoritism to us because we are so good and nothing that we do could win salvation. But it is only through faith in Jesus Christ who forgives our sins. We thank you for this. It's so unexpected. It's so very beautiful. We love you. Amen. So we can approach with confidence. We can remember Christ's death with thanksgiving. That'll take us into our time of observing the Lord's Supper. You see, the Lord's Supper uh, has been traditionally called the Eucharist. That's a, that's a word um, that, that literally in English means thanksgiving. You see, the Lord's Supper is that feast of thanksgiving by which we remember forgiveness of sins by Christ's death on the cross. And so we can enter into this thankfully. Now today, we are going to be doing this uh, online. We're going to be doing this together, though separate. Uh, and I just wanted to give some clarifying uh, remarks to this as we prepare our hearts and our minds for this. Parkview Church, we hold a memorialist view of this. We regard the elements as symbols of remembrance. We don't believe that the elements actually become Christ. We don't believe uh, that a priest or a pastor needs to bless them. Uh, nor do we, nor do we uh, believe uh, that we must be taking uh, these elements in order to be saved. And so within our view, within our creed, within our statement of faith, we can confidently observe this together with gratitude. Because we regard this ordinance so highly, our elders have agreed to offer communion online this Good Friday as a one-time exception to our normal practice of not offering communion online. A park view. We believe that the Lord's Supper is given by Jesus to the church. That is to all Christians. And so if that's you, if you are a Christian, if you have come to terms with the fact that you are a sinner, that Christ has died for the forgiveness of your sin, and that you believe in him, you've reached beyond and said, I, I, I don't quite understand how this all works, but I do know that this is real and that Christ died for my sin. And you're a Christian. <laughs> So, so you can feast with thanksgiving in this meal. If that's not you, if you're not quite sure of what this sin thing is, or, or this Jesus guy, or Christ, or this whole idea of how this exchange could actually take place, or even that you may need to be forgiven, I'd ask you to, to read through this, uh, to read through this, to look through these, uh, this passage that we, that we have here to consider what your heart might be saying when you see Jesus on that cross. And I would ask that you abstain from taking these elements just as respect to something that we hold so very dearly. Now, if you have children with you, as many of you might, this is the perfect opportunity to teach the faith. Now, whether it's your first time having communion together or whether this is a regular practice for you, we encourage you to include the children uh, that you have uh, with, uh, if they are Christians, if they believe in Christ and his forgiveness of their sin. It's a wonderful way. Kids ask the most amazing questions in this time. Teach them the gratitude that's there. Even if you say together, thank you, Lord Jesus, for this. 
If you have kids, though, that, that aren't Christians, we, we, we'd encourage you to, to hold back the elements uh, from them. There's nothing wrong with, uh, with, with, with giving them a deeper hunger and longing for this meal when they understand with faith and they express with gratitude. And so, uh, by way of uh, order, to keep this orderly, uh, maybe uh, go with uh, husbands serve wives first and parents serve the children's. Uh, if you're with your friends, then serve uh, one another. We'll go now, right now, to prepare our hearts and our minds in song uh, as you uh, serve one another. After this song, uh, we'll come back and I'll, I'll lead us through taking the elements together as I read the, the words of institution. So let's go to God, preparing our hearts in song as we distribute the elements to one another in our homes. my soul, my 
The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, we pray you set your passion, the cross, and your death between your judgment and our souls, now and in the hour of our death. Give mercy and grace to the living. Pardon and rest to the dead. To your holy church, peace and concord. And to us sinners, everlasting life and glory. For with the Father and the Holy Spirit, you live and reign one God now and forever. Amen.